So, have you ever tried to communicate with anybody using one of these? It's a walkie-talkie. Um, especially trying to communicate with one of these if the person on the other end of the, that has the other one of these doesn't know how to use it. Right? Because you get all kinds of funny things that happen. These have to be turned to a particular channel. And if you're not on the same channel, you're not going to hear each other. Um, or they might not realize that you have to hold down this little button to talk. And if they don't do that, then they're just going to be talking a blue streak and you won't hear a thing they're saying. Or the reverse of that is they just hold the button down all the time, <laughs> which means they can't hear you. All right? So there's all kinds of, you know, of issues that could happen with a walkie-talkie. But the, the point is that, it, you know, when you look at all of that, especially when you consider how easy it is to use a cell phone, this really is not a very effective way to communicate. Now, sometimes it's necessary, but not necessarily effective, especially if someone's not sure of what they're doing with it. And what you find is that many people tend to treat prayer sort of like a one-way conversation where, where they're holding the button down and they're doing all the talking, and yet God might be talking, but they can't hear because they've got the finger on the button. And because we tend to have this walkie-talkie understanding of prayer, I think it's important that we really talk a little bit about how prayer is supposed to work. Because if you read Scripture, biblical examples of prayer include all kinds of different things. We have petition, thanksgiving, um, people ask questions, people listen for answers, and God, in fact, does answer we let go of the button. And so in order to hear God respond in prayer, we have to be listening, but also reading scripture is an important part of listening, and you know, along with quieting our hearts. And that's why you'll sort of see that a lot of these spiritual disciplines or habits, as we call them, uh, are intertwined, right? They're connected. You know, that so oftentimes, and you sort of heard this in what Lindsay shared last week, how in seeking an answer to something, she in fact listened by reading the scriptures. And God spoke to her through what she was reading. Um, so we're going to continue talking about spiritual habits, and by now you've probably guessed that we're going to focus on prayer today. Um, and so the verses that we're going to look at come from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. All right, and, that, and this is found in Matthew. It's chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. But we'll have them up here as well. So let's go and start to look at that. So Matthew 6, starting at verse 5, says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then at verse 7, And when you pray, 
do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, if I were to sub up what I think Jesus is saying in this passage, it would be that most effective prayers are simple and heartfelt. Okay? Now we can go to that one. So the question, because we want to sort of look at Scripture with a question, like, like we're looking for something. And so in this case, I think what we're looking for is, how do you pray simply and from the heart? What is he telling us about how to do that that's in this text? And I think we're going to find three answers in, in specifically. First of all, he's telling us to keep it low-key. Second, he says, stop repeating yourself. And third, follow the model. All right. So now let's dig into each one of those a little bit. So this idea is that we want to keep it low-key, first of all. And that goes from the first couple of verses. <clears throat> now, this is sort of a strange verse if you don't really understand Jewish culture and some of the Jewish prayer traditions. So to kind of understand it, let's take a step back and look at that first. All right. Jewish people formally observed three specific times of prayer. Okay, Roughly 9 o'clock, noon, and 3 p.m. Those were the designated times of prayer. And if you were a devout Jew, you would either go to the synagogue or and you would pray at those particular times of day. Um, or if that wasn't possible, you would pray wherever you were. Okay, That wasn't the problem. The problem was that rather that these hypocrites that Jesus is referring to, rather than making prayer a matter of an in, between an individual and God, these people were turning it into an act to be seen by just about everybody who was out and about. And so they sort of contrived to be on the streets at those particular times so that they might be seen by everybody else and applauded for their great and conscientious piety. Right? Now, standing is not, that's kind of, that was the standard practice in Jewish prayer, was they stood when they prayed. And it also was in the early Christian church. But, you know, you can imagine that this sort of conspicuous posture would open the way for some pretty obnoxious displays of dramatic prayer. Just imagine, oh God, all kinds of arm gestures, I'm sure. Now, the discipline of regular prayer is a good thing. And there's nothing wrong in standing to pray. You know, that's not really what Jesus is saying here. And it's not even necessarily a bad thing to pray on a street corner as well as in the synagogue. I mean, we sort of encourage if you're out on the street doing ministry and you see someone who's hurting, we would encourage you to go pray with them. The, the issue here is that Jesus uncovered their true motives as they stood in the synagogue or in the street. 
you know, with their hands uplifted so that they might be seen by everybody. Because behind their piety was their pride. And what they really wanted was applause and recognition. That they got, not anything else. And so what is Jesus' solution in this case? Low-key prayer. Go into your room, and in this case, in the houses of that time, there was probably only one room that very likely had a door on it. Okay, so their houses didn't have doors. There was a storeroom in which they kept things. And it probably had a door, may have even been, you might even have been able to lock it in some way. So it was probably the only place, and when Jesus says, go into your room, it's probably the least public place in the whole house, and so that's very likely what he was referring to. Um, So go into your room and pray. Isaac, we know, went into a field. Jesus went to a mountain. Peter was on a housetop. These were all fine places to pray, but they were private. It was a place where they could get alone with God. Low-key prayer is to be performed in seclusion, that we can be unobserved, and it eliminates any possibility of us trying to perform so that others might see how you know, wonderfully holy and pious we are. It should be undisturbed so that we're not distracted in any way. And low-key prayer should be unheard uh, by others, which really offers us greater freedom to pray, especially to pray out loud, so that you, know, you don't have to worry about somebody else listening in. Prayer in public is, is subject to concern over, you know, did I use the right word? Um, gosh, did I say something that was politically incorrect? Uh, and then, of course, pride comes into play as well. Low-key prayer that's done in private enables you as a believer to pour out your heart to God and express your true feelings and then listen in that quietness for God's answer. And that's what's so important. It's finally taking your finger off the button. Your father is there. And he's waiting to welcome you into this time of intimate communication. The thing is, he sees not only what you look like on the outside, but what you look like on the inside as well. And so he knows the motives of your heart as to why you're praying. And so the essence of this idea of low-key prayer is that we want to seek God humbly and earnestly. Okay? Second, you pray simply and from the heart when you stop repeating yourself, when you stop repeating yourself, when you stop repeating yourself. <laughs> See, we know from many writings and inscriptions that many non-Jews did indeed use all these different formulas in their prayers. <clears throat> Some used these long, complicated, supposedly magic words, which they would repeat over and over in their anxiety to persuade whatever god or goddess they were praying to that, hey, could you please honor me? Would you be favorable to me? Okay. Greek prayers, as well, piled up as many titles of every deity as they could possibly think of, um, hoping to get their attention. Just call them as many things as they could. 
And pagan prayers also typically reminded whatever deity they were praying to um, of favors that they did, that the person did for them, or sacrifices that they made, um, thinking that, well, maybe if I sort of appeal to this God on a contractual basis, I'll get a response. Well, I did this, now it's your turn to do this for me. And if you think about it, such prayers are really marked with all kinds of uncertainty. There were all of these different divinities in the pagan world, and we mentioned this before, especially in the Roman culture. You could have as many gods as you wanted, which was one reason Christianity was kind of accepted at first. They just thought it was another god, another one of these many hundreds of gods. People had their own little temples or shrines set up in their house, and they could put whatever little representations of their gods they wanted to, and that's where they went to pray, and and that was fine. But you never really know, sort of, you know, let's say you get a response, but you don't know which one of these gods might even be responding to you, or what formula that you used that actually garnered some kind of a response. And I think sometimes even well-meaning believers today fall into this trap. As though repeating certain power words somehow induces the Lord to act on their behalf. (laughs) I've heard people who father God a prayer to death. I mean, I, there's just no need to do that. You know, Father God, oh Father God, we, we just pray to you, Father God, that Father God, you would, Father God, have mercy, Father God, on us, Father God. You know, need to break that. That's exactly what we're talking about here. See, this phrase, heap up empty phrases, has been translated in a number of ways. King James originally rep, uh, um, rendered it vain repetition. Okay, but then William Tyndall came along with a translation, and he was he very much got into the Greek, and the Greek word here is really sort of a nonsense word, and so the closest he could come to translating that was babble or babbling, and so you'll see in many translations that use that word. Doesn't really matter how you choose to translate it. What Jesus was saying is clear, I think, beyond uh, any, um, any doubt. God is not hard of hearing, nor does he need us to repeat things. He's also unoffended by short, succinct prayers that exclude a lot of babbling words and phrases. That doesn't bother him at all. Think about it this way. What sort of God would he be if he is chiefly impressed with the mechanics and the statistics of prayer and whose response is determined only by the volume of words that we use or the number of hours that we spend praying. When it comes to prayer, we need to stick to the KISS principle. Keep it simple, saints. Prayer is not for the purposes of informing God. Rather, prayer expresses to him and to ourselves the fact of our impotence to meet our own needs. Biblical prayer is an act of faith. It's an expression of our dependence on God. So stop repeating yourself. And I mean, that was just one example. People just, you know, repeat the same thing over and over. 
meaningless repetition really signifies a dependence on oneself to somehow manipulate or badger God into compliance. Now, it's perfectly okay to pray long prayers. Jesus himself prayed all night on occasion. And there are other examples of very long prayers as well. What Jesus forbids is any kind of prayer with the mouth where the mind is not engaged. And then finally, we have follow the model is a way to pray simply and from the heart. See, I think for many people, prayer is not just a mystery but a puzzle. They know they ought to do it, they're just not really sure how. And what Jesus is trying to tell us here with this, and I've read a lot of the, the commentaries said that this prayer is actually somewhat misnamed. You know, we refer to it as the Lord's Prayer, but it's actually the disciples' prayer. Um, but what he's giving us with this prayer is a framework, okay? Jesus never said that we're to pray these exact words. And what, what I would say is that this really is sort of, this is a sequence of thought that should act more like a scaffolding than it should the entire building. Now, you know, many of you know I was raised Catholic. And the Lord's Prayer and then a few other prayers are, are burned so deeply into my, my consciousness that I couldn't forget them if I tried. Okay? I, just to prove a point, for whatever reason, the Hail Mary came, I was doing something. So I stopped and I said it word for word, and I hadn't thought of that, I don't know, for probably 50 years. Yes, I am that old. Um, and I did, you know, didn't miss a didn't miss a beat. And so the point I'm trying to make here is that, it, especially for me, and I don't know if this is the case for you or not, but for me, it's difficult for me now to see this as a model because the, the prayer itself is so ingrained in me that I have a hard time, you know, sort of seeing it at, for what it's supposed to be, which was a guideline. Okay, so what I've tried to do. Uh, for this, and for myself as well, is to kind of deconstruct the prayer and put, uh, and, and put it and pair its component pieces with words that we could look at and use as a prompt for how to pray. All right, so let's look at that. Our Father in Heaven reminds us that we're talking with a very special person. This is God. This is not a man-made idol. He's the living God who dwells in heaven and longs to see his sovereign and saving rule come to fruition on earth. And it's this living God who desires to have a personal relationship with you. And so use whatever form of address here feels the most comfortable to you. For some it will be Father. Some may, may use the word Lord. Others call him Daddy. Others refer to him as Papa God. I would say whatever is comfortable for you, 
that's the way that you should address your father. But remember that this is a person you're talking to. The next phrase is, hallowed be your name. And this reminds us that this very special person is worthy of our praise. Simply because our Papa God is the creator of the universe, we should naturally begin any prayer with praising him for who he is. We praise him for his perfection, which is contrasted against our imperfection. We praise him for his wisdom, which contrasts against our own foolishness. We praise him for his power, which is contrasted against our impotence. And we praise God for his love in contrast to our selfishness. God's holiness is everything that sets him apart from us and all the rest of, our, of his creation. And so we start with a person and we move into praise. And then we have your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this reminds us that what must come first is God's purpose. We pray for the kingdom of God to become fully present, not for God's people to be snatched away from earth to heaven, but for the glory and the beauty of heaven to be turned into an earthly reality as well. Therefore, it's the prayer that we, his servants, would be faithfully obedient and effective in living his kingdom principles in our own lives and then spreading the kingdom through our actions and words, impacting the town of Ashland and beyond. That's what we're talking about. Then we have, give us this day our daily bread. Well, here we're asking for God's provision. Because this God is the creator who loves his world and his human creatures, we can ask him for everything we need in the safe knowledge that he is far more concerned about all of it than even we are ourselves. And when we say, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, we're asking for God's pardon. Now, I found it interesting that Jewish teaching regards, regarded sins as debts. They were debts before God. Uh, and the Aramaic word is roughly the same word for sin or for debt. So that's, I, I'd always wondered why this was in there. And, <clears throat> see, unlike many religions in which every single action carries some eternal and unbreakable consequence, at the heart of Judaism and Christianity lies the belief that though human actions matter, forgiveness is always possible and with God's love can actually be received. And so Jesus is assuming here that we're going to need to ask for forgiveness not just on one or two rare occasions, but all the time, which is true, right? The interesting thing here is that <clears throat> there is this condition that's attached to this thing, which, which he brings right into the prayer itself. 
And that's that we have to be forgiving people ourselves. And he takes a little bit of extra time if you continue reading in verses 14 and 15 to explain that a little bit more. But at the essence of his teaching is, is that there, if there's a heart that is not going to be open to forgive others, then chances are it's going to remain closed when God offers his own forgiveness to it as well. And then we have, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in this case, we're asking for God's protection. We live in times of crisis, times when a lot seems dark in the world, and sometimes in our own hearts, in our own lives. And the fact is, we follow a crucified Messiah. And so we shouldn't expect to be spared the darkness ourselves. In fact, Jesus told us that's what was going to happen. But we must and we may pray to be protected from its worst ravages and to be delivered from evil, both in the abstract and in the personified form of the evil one. And so there you have it. Six words that I hope will help you use this prayer model more effectively. Now, I've been working on this all week, and I've, I have been, been using those, and I will say it has made a difference for me. Uh, and I, I'll send these out, as I normally do in the email that follows this on Monday. But this has really kind of helped me follow this model without getting me stuck in the words of the, the, the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. Okay, So if that's uh, something that you struggle with, maybe this will help. And I'll also point out that even though it's not in the earlier versions of Matthew, if you, if you want to make this a perfect seven, if, you're, you know, if that's important to you, then uh, we could add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, now and forever, and that's proclamation. Prayer is probably one of the most common phenomenon of human life. You go, really? Yeah, even deliberately non-religious people pray. Studies have shown that in secularized countries, prayer continues to be practiced not only by those who have no religious preference, but by many people who do not even believe in God. A 2004 study found that nearly 30% of atheists admitted they prayed sometimes, and another found that 70% of non-believers in God pray regularly, which, of course, makes you wonder, <laughs> who are they praying to? <laughs> if I don't believe there's a God, it's kind of like, okay, how's that work? They also found that the frequency of prayer increases with age even among those who do not return to church or identify with any institutional faith. Italian scholar Giuseppe Jordan summarized this way, in virtually all studies of the sociology of religious behavior, it is clearly apparent that a very high percentage of people declare they pray every day, and many say even many times a day. Now, does this mean that everybody prays? No. 
a lot of atheists <clears throat> get offended if you say something like, you know, there are no atheists in foxholes. And, and they're right to do so. And there are a lot of people that don't even pray in any kind of a time of duress or danger. They just don't think about you know, praying. But we can't avoid the fact that prayer is a global reality. That it inhabits all cultures and involves um, the overwhelming majority of people at some point in their lives. And if you were to try to find a culture uh, even ones that are very remote and isolated that does not have some form of prayer as part of that, their culture, um, generally that's failed. That everybody has this need or desire to pray. There's always been some form, of, uh, uh, um, some attempt at communication between the human and the divine. So it's like we have this human instinct for prayer. Swiss theologian referred to, uh, or Karl Barth, who was a Swiss theologian, referred to it as our incurable God sickness. And so, just as I encouraged everybody last week, you know, to, to pick up this habit of, of reading scripture, this is another very important habit to get into. And oftentimes you may hear someone say, well, I don't, I don't really know what to say. Well, that's okay. Just listen. Start off by just listening. Just get quiet. That alone will be a huge struggle for most of you. <laughs> and I mean, I'm not, I don't say that lightly. Because the whole idea of getting quiet and quieting the thoughts in your head, I'm not really talking about speaking so much as I'm just talking about quieting your mind. It's not easy. And so, you know, if you want to set a goal for yourself, make it a reasonable one. You know, try five minutes. That'll seem like an eternity when you first start out. But it gets easier. It really does. And some people will use a word that might help them focus. Um, I just use the, the name of Jesus. You know, if I, my thoughts are starting to drift, I just repeat that word to myself, and it sort of like centers my thoughts back. Uh, and then they start to go over here, it's Jesus, and it pulls them right back in like that. And that can be a real aid to some people. But really, we're going to do a, a whole series on prayer coming up you know, in a few weeks, uh, probably around the end of February, 1st of March is when we'll start that. Um, we're going to do a whole 40 days of prayer um, within the church. So this would be a good time to kind of start to get in that habit. And follow, you know, follow this model. You know, if you don't know how, that's the, you know, this is what Jesus is telling us. Just start there. You know, we, we've shown some videos, I know, of people who, um, you know, pray in this old English you know, oh, God, for thou art great. And that's, that's, you don't have to do that. That's, just talk to God the way you would talk to anybody else. 
It's a relationship. It should be your best friend. And so just like, you know, picture Jesus sitting in the chair next to you. In a sense, he is. And so just talk to him. You know, like, God, I'm really having a bad day today. Yeah, I know. It's okay. So, with that said, if I could have, once again, the people who uh, are designated to pray to come up. should be no secret that we enjoy prayer, we encourage prayer, and we believe in prayer. And if you need prayer for anything, any kind of a physical need, any sort of a decision where you want to just join together with someone and, and, and lift that up, then we certainly encourage you to do that. I will, uh, I'm just going to say a blessing here. And uh, as we've said many times, you are welcome to stay. You're free to go. Laney's going to play. You can stay in worship. Um, just encourage you to kind of wait on God and see what, um, what God wants to do today, and especially with you. So just stop and let's just be quiet for a moment or two. And just close your eyes. Father, we're all here in your house. And our prayer is that your will be done in our lives. So my prayer is that you would speak to each person here. Whether it's something that they need to get prayer for, whether it's a word that they just need to hear themselves. whether it's a prod to begin to take this idea of prayer more seriously, to do it regularly. Just speak to us, Father. pray as we leave this place that you would increase our ability to hear you. 
you would impress upon our hearts the need to make this a habit. For I know there is untold blessing to those that have that relationship with you. They are able to deal with some of life's most difficult situations with grace, sometimes even with joy because of their relationship with you. Bless us all as we leave this place and go out into the world that you created. Let us take Mark's words to heart and begin to explore our own spiritual giftings and how we might better use those to further your kingdom. Give you thanks and praise for this time that we've had and for these, your people. Bless them and protect them. Keep them safe. Give you thanks and praise, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.